we as human beings are in need of friends. We are relational people. Uh, that's something God built into us the day that he made us. He put that part into us uh, as part of our makeup. In fact, you might remember when God looked at Adam after creating him, uh, in Genesis 2 and verse 18, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. God says, it's not a good thing for this person to be by himself. He needs somebody with him. And so God made woman to be man's friend from that point on. Now, again, mankind is relational. Uh, he's made in, in, to be connected with somebody. And although people vary in their degree of their need for that, the bottom line is everybody needs somebody uh, to be connected to somewhere along the way. You may have had a really, really good friend at some point in time. Maybe you had that person now as a good friend. And you understand the point that I'm making. If I ask you, who's your best friend? Uh, there's probably somebody, you, some name would pop into your head, somebody that you could say, that's my best friend. Or maybe years ago you had somebody that you would hang out with all the time and do all sorts of things with. And when I ask you, who's your best friend? That person's uh, a name or, or a face pops into your head. Uh, that, again, lets us know there's a relationship that we all need to be connected with somebody else. The Bible has a lot to say about friendship. And that's why in this day, our Family and Friends Day, we're going to talk this morning about what the Bible has to say about friendship because God, again, knows we have an important need to be connected with somebody. And so example after example in Scripture, we find of people who are connected to somebody in some way. But I think the greatest human example of friendship found in the Word of God is found in the passage that we read this morning from 1 Samuel chapter 18. So if you've closed your Bible, open it back up there again if you would. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18. Because in this first few verses, we have a description of the relationship between Jonathan and David. I want to look at this friendship this morning between these two men. I want us to see the qualities that existed between them in their friendship, but I want us to see beyond that. I want us also to see the desire that God has for friendship with his creation. God wants to be friends with us this morning. Every person on earth, God wants to be friends with them. And as we consider this friendship between Jonathan and David, I think we're going to also see the effort that God has made to be connected with his creation, be friends with each one listening today. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. Look at verse 1 again, if you would. The Bible says there, It came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. That's the first mention we have in Scripture of this relationship that existed between Jonathan and David. And notice it went beyond what normal friendships do. Uh, this two, these two men came from completely different backgrounds, but in spite of that, uh, they found a common ground to work from, and there's a friendship that resulted from that common ground. Look at verse 2 and see the quality of this friendship. It says there, And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Now I want you to pay particular word to that, uh, ver, uh, attention to that word in verse 3, that word covenant. What is a covenant? Well, a covenant is nothing more than an agreement between two people. It's a promise made to, to, to uh, each other uh, to each other. And they promise to hold this commitment that, that they've made to one another. Now, if you're married here today, you know exactly what that's all about. Uh, I stood before the altar that day. I promised to stay true to Sandy uh, through sickness or in health as long as we both should live. If you're married this morning, you made that same covenant with each other, with your spouse. And what you told them was, as long as I'm here and as long as you're here, we're going to be together and we'll abide by the promise that we're making to each other. The fact is, that word covenant used here in verse 3 gives a spiritual connection to us between Jonathan and David and you and I. God wants us to see something in this friendship. Because over and over, as you read through the Word of God, you'll find that word covenant. In fact, that word is used 314 times in your Bible. In Genesis chapter 9, God made a covenant with Noah. In Genesis chapter 15, God made a covenant with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 17, God made a covenant with Isaac. 
In Exodus chapter 6, God made a covenant with the people Israel. And from Exodus chapter 6 on, we see that God held to that covenant that he had made with his people. And he never went back on that covenant one time. In fact, he continually renewed that covenant with them that he had made with the people of Israel. Almost every time that word is used in Scripture, it's demonstrating God making a solemn promise to the people that he's chosen. And what is interesting about that is that never once in Scripture do we find God going back on his promise. Never once. Never once does God say, I'm tired of this thing. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to hold to this promise. I'm going to forget the whole thing and just go on and do what I want to do. God never did that. God never initiated one time in Scripture breaking that covenant. Now, the covenant has been broken many, many times in Scripture, but God was never the one who initiated that. Each covenant, each time a covenant was broken, it's broken by by the people that God made the covenant with. Because again, as you see, a covenant is between two people. Each one has the option of pulling out of the agreement. And every time a covenant is broken in Scripture, it's always God's people not holding up to their end of the bargain. God never reneges. God never makes a promise. And unless we, unless we change our minds, that covenant lasts throughout all of eternity. So when you see that word covenant there in verse 3, it doesn't just describe the relationship between Jonathan and David. We also find God giving us there a wonderful type for us to be aware of. And there's a wonderful and profound truth that is attached to that type. So I want you to look at these two men again. We have Jonathan and we have David. First, you have a man by the name of Jonathan. Please notice his name begins with the letter J. And would you notice also that Jonathan is the son of Saul. Jonathan is a son of the father. He's a son of the father. Let me ask you something. Who else do you know in Scripture that, whose name begins with the letter J and is the son of the father? It's Jesus Christ. So in Jonathan, what you have in type, is you have a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you have David. You know the story of David, David's background. David was a boy taken out of nowhere. Uh, Nobody knew who he was, had any idea who David was. And this unknown boy, taken out of the fields watching sheep, and verse 2 tells us he's placed to live forever in the palace of the king. David, a nobody, chosen to live forever in the palace of the king. Do you know anybody like that? you know anybody who was taken out of nowhere and was chosen to live in the palace of the king? Well, if you're saved here this morning, that's you. You're looking at somebody this morning just like that. I was a nobody. I was taken from nowhere and chosen to live in the palace of the king. I was unknown, living a life without notice, no notoriety. And when that was going on, God found me. And when God found me, he sent his servant, the Holy Spirit of God, to me. And the Holy Spirit of God made me an offer. He said, if you'll accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross as payment for your sin, if you'll trust the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation, here's what I'm going to do for you in return. I'm going to put, pull you out of where you are. I'm going to change where you're going. I'm going to put you in the palace of the king, God himself. And he said, Sabaka, you can live there forever. You can live there forever. So as an eight-year-old boy back in 1963, I repented of my sin. I confessed the fact that I was a sinner before God, and I asked God to save me. And God saved me that day. And in type, that is David's story is my story this morning. I now live in the palace of the king. And when I die or when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, what is figurative is going to be reality. Someday I'm going to live forever in the palace of the king. And if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you will as well. You say, how do you know? How are you so sure that's going to happen? 
How are you so sure? Somebody might listening might say, you sound like you're so sure about this thing. How do you know for sure that's going to happen? How do you know for sure that where, where you're going when you die? Well, you see, it's because of what I mentioned to you just a few moments ago. God made a covenant with me. God made a covenant. God said, if you'll do this, I'll do this. He says, if you'll trust my son as Savior, I'll make a covenant with you. What's the covenant? Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. First John five thirteen. these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Two of my favorite verses in Scripture, Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, it says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, get it now, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. When I trusted Jesus Christ's death on the cross as payment for my sin, something happened to me. Not because of who I was, not because of what I was. In fact, in spite of that, God plucked me out. And he set me in the palace. And he made me a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And that's who I am today. Not because there's anything special about me, but because God saved me the day I asked him to. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Catch it now. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, you may think I'm crazy. I'm sure you've thought I'm crazy for a lot of reasons. But this morning, as I say this, you may think I'm crazy. Because right now, I'm standing here on the platform of Calvary Bible Baptist Church. But you know where I really am this morning? (laughs) I'm seated in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ. Spiritually, positionally, that's where I am this morning. Right now, I'm right there. Paul tells me there in those verses that my salvation is so sure, my salvation is so secure, that it's as though, although I'm already there with him. And that's because of the covenant God made with me the day I trusted Jesus Christ. That's what God did for me the day that I left my sin and asked him to save me as an eight-year-old kid. And when I responded to that, that offer of salvation, God responded by saving me, and he made me a child of God. He provided to me all the rights and all the benefits that come with being a child of God. And he placed me in heavenly places so that I could live forever in the palace of the king. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. Now, I've met people, you probably have as well, I've met people who refuse that offer. They decide not to make Jesus Christ their savior. Maybe there's somebody listening today here. Maybe somebody listening by Facebook Live or YouTube and you've heard the offer. You've heard salvation presented and you've chosen not, you've chosen against that. That's your choice. God will never make you do anything that you don't want to do. But I want to tell you, by refusing that offer, by refusing to enter into the covenant that God has made, you miss all the privileges that come by entering into that covenant. None of that is yours. It's all there waiting for you, but none of that is yours until you accept the offer that Jesus Christ makes. And once I enter into those privileges that God has for me that are associated with that covenant, they are guaranteed. You know why? Because God never breaks a promise. He never breaks a promise. God never breaks an agreement. God will hold up his bargain from now until all of eternity. That's again how I know I'm saved forever because I've got a God who made a promise to me and God never breaks his promises. So again, what you see here in 1 Samuel chapter 18 in this friendship between Jonathan and David, what you see is a relationship that exists, a covenant that exists between God and all those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. I want you to hold your hand there in 1 Samuel, if you would, and go to the book of John. Go to John chapter 15. 
There are some fast, fantastic words here. And if you've got a red-letter Bible, these words are in red. That means Jesus Christ spoke these words. I want you to hear what Jesus Christ says this morning. John chapter 15, when you get there, look at verse 13. John chapter 15, verse 13. The Bible says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And then look at verse 14. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Now look at that. You might want to underline that. You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, are a friend of God this morning. God wants, is your friend. God's your friend. Jesus Christ says there, because you know me, because you follow my command, uh, I'm your friend. I've identified you as my friend. Because you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, Jesus Christ says, you have a friend in me. <laughs> You've got a friend in me. And just like Jonathan, the son of the king, made a friendship with the Savior, David also, uh, as a form of Jesus Christ, has entered into that same kind of relationship with every believer listening today. So there's the covenant. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 18 again, if you would. Now that we are aware of the covenant, we need to see some, some of the qualities that make up this friendship, make up this covenant relationship. And so look at verse 1 again. It says that when it came to pass, it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. It's as though their souls were knit together. It's as though they were one person, not two people anymore. One person in friendship with somebody else, in love, having a love for that person in such a way that they love that person as they love themselves. That's how Jonathan cared about David. That's how he felt about David. The same kind of love he had for himself, he had for David. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've had a lot of good friends in my life. But outside of my wife, Sandy, and my daughters, and my family... I don't think I've ever had a person in my life that I cared about in that way. This friendship that Jonathan had with David was a very unique friendship. There was a bond between these two men that was not typical in human relationships. Now, with that in mind, I'd like you to turn to the book of Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, if you would. Ephesians chapter 5. Because, again, God is giving us a wonderful type here, and I don't want want us to miss it this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, you are aware that this passage we're going to look at this morning is a familiar passage because it's often the one that's read during the time of a wedding. A minister will read this uh, during the wedding ceremony. And so we see this scripture as applying to weddings and a connection between husbands and wives, and certainly that's the case. But I want you to see the underlying truth behind it because the focus of these verses might be the love that a husband has for his wife and the wife has for him. But there's a figure behind this that... Makes the, as Paul makes this point that we don't want to miss. Look at verse 23, if you would. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife, loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. 
For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now Paul uses this type, this picture of the husband and the wife. But underlying that you see in verse 32, he says, I speak not about husbands and wives, I speak concerning Christ and the church. Who makes up the church? Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you are the church. And the Bible tells me here that Christ loves the church. And the Bible tells me here Christ loves the church as he loves himself. That means God God loves you, and that's how much God loves you. When you enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ, when you came into this covenant relationship, that covenant relationship, you became his friend. And his soul was knit to your soul. And you became one with him. And we became his body. And Jesus Christ shows the same regard for us that he showed for his own body. That body that was able to secure salvation for us. That body that God accepted as a sacrifice for all mankind. That's the body we're talking about. And God loves us with the same regard as he has for the body of his own son. He has the same regard for us. The love that God has for you this morning is the same love that God has for His Son. That's the same love He has for you and I. I'm going to tell you something. I can't fathom that. I can't understand that. I know who I am. I know what I am. I can't figure out why God would love me that much. He'd love me so much. He loves me as much as He loves His own Son, Jesus Christ. But that's what it says. That's what it says. That's how much God loves His people this morning. I can't fathom it. I praise God for the truth. I praise God for the truth. God loves worthless sinners just that much. And yet, although we can't understand it, I don't know how he does it, but it's true. The Bible says it. It's true in Ephesians chapter 5. So I accept it as true. Even though I don't get it, I'll never understand it, maybe until I get to heaven. But what that means practically, believer, is this, and please hear me this morning. What that means practically, God loves you so much that he will never let anything come into your life that is not best for you. Now get a hold of that. God will never allow anything into your life because he loves you so much. Nothing will come into your life that is harmful to you. Never let anything come into your life that is not exactly what you need at that particular time. Now we may not always see it that way. We may see those things as annoyances or inconvenient or maybe trouble or maybe even cruel. But God doesn't see it that way. And so how we see it is beside the point. God loves us way too much to allow anything into our lives that would cause harm to us or that would be of no value to us. Because you see, folks, his soul is knit to your soul. It's like he's connected to you. He's knitted to you. And so when you see what hurts him, what hurts you rather, hurts him. What brings you joy brings him joy. What you care about, he cares about. And that even indicates those things that we shouldn't care about. Even those things that are silly and frivolous and useless, if you care about them, God cares about them. There's a song the Collinsworth family sings, and the chorus says this, If it matters to you, it matters to the Master. And that's true. That's biblical. That's Scripture. If it matters to you, it matters to Jesus Christ. As difficult as that is to believe, that's true. Whatever matters to me matters to the Master because the soul of my Savior is knit to my own soul and my interests become His interests. He cares about all of it. Remember years ago, the washing machine broke. And I prayed over the washing machine. 
Because that was a stupid thing to do. Well, God cares about everything. Then you know what? If God cares about everything, I'm going to pray over this washer. By the way, the washer repaired itself somehow. I don't know how that happened, but it started working again. God cares about all of it, folks. And when my interests take me to things that are not healthy for me, God will continue to convict me of those things and get my focus back on things that are best for me. That's the kind of relationship I have with him. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, that's the kind of relationship you have with him. And it's because of that covenant relationship that he made with you and that friendship that he seeks out with you and holds to and values. Go back to First Samuel, if you would. And look at verse 4. First Samuel chapter 18 and verse 4. It's going to tell us about this relationship. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Now, this is what the relationship is all about. Jonathan strips himself of his robe and takes everything that's on him and gives that thing to David, his garments, his sword, his bow, his girdle, all of it. What was common in those days is that when a person entered into some kind of covenant with another person, they would exchange material possessions with each other as a part of the indication of that covenant. They would enter into the covenant and trade material possessions. And the clear message in that is this. Because of this relationship, because of this covenant, whatever is mine is now yours. Whatever I have is now yours. Whatever I possess is now your possessions as well. And that's what Jonathan is doing here with David. He's giving David all he has. And what he is saying is, everything I possess is now yours. And notice what he gives him. It says, first of all, he stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David. Now think about this. Uh, David was taken out of the field. David was a sheep herder. You ever been to the fair and gone through the sheep barn? Not a pleasant place to be. <laughs> maybe you like it. I don't know. Maybe you're a farm kind of person. But to me, uh, it's just pretty nasty. So, so David's out there in that field with all those sheep and all those the sheep smells and all the flies from the sheep and all the rest of it. That's where David was. And he comes before the son of the king. And the son of the king takes his robe off and places on that filthy, dirty, stinky, smelly guy. Gives him his robe. Remarkable. Remarkable. And there he stands, the son of the king, and the son of the king takes off those royal robes and places them on that dirty, filthy shepherd boy. And now that dirty, filthy shepherd boy is clothed in the robes of the son of the king. <laughs> Isaiah 61, 61.10 says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. That's my story this morning. That's me. That's me. The day that I made trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I was made the bride of Christ. When I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, my robes of sin were exchanged for the royal robes of the righteousness of God. And I set aside all those old, dirty, sin-soaked rags, and I put on the robes of the Son of the King. My sin exchanged for His righteousness. Amen. There's a song that says this, Sin for salvation, oh, what a trade. Think about that. Sin for salvation. I gave God my sin, and He traded me His salvation. Oh, what a trade. Oh, what a trade. You can't get a better deal than that. Turn to Revelation chapter 7, if you would. 
Revelation chapter 7. In Revelation chapter 7, there's a scene described for us. And I want you to look at this scene this morning. I want you to get the full picture of what's going on here. Revelation chapter 7, when you get to look at verse 9. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Look at what it says. After this I beheld, this is John speaking, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round the thro- round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> now get that picture this morning, folks. The best you can in your mind's eye, get a picture of that. Here you have a multitude of people from all kindreds and all places, all nations, all over the place, all over the world from all walks of life, from all the centuries, and they're there before the throne. And the Bible says there, all those folks before that throne are standing there because they've been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are clothed in white robes. Can you see them there? Can you look at it? Now, here's what I want you to do. In your mind's eye, as you get that picture of that great multitude standing before that throne, I want you to kind of scan that whole multitude like a bird flying over, and I want you to view that whole thing. And what I'd like you to do, I'd like you to swoop down and pick on one figure down there. Focus on one figure in that vast multitude. Do you see that one figure there? (laughs) That's me. That's me. I'll be there. Because you see, I've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Those robes are my robes. And I am there before that throne, praising God for the salvation I have, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be saying glory and honor to the Savior, that one who saved me. And look what I'm wearing, by the way. I'm wearing that robe. I'm wearing the white robe. The king has put his robe on me. (laughs) And I stand before him on that day. I stand with that white robe on me. My sin is no more. My sin has been all cast away. And for all of eternity, I stand there with the white robe of God's righteousness upon me and around me and all over me. I don't care how much sin you have committed in your life. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, all that sin is set aside and you are clothed in the white robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And God doesn't see the sin anymore. He just sees Jesus Christ's righteousness. I'm an old sinner, never should have been saved. God should not have paid any attention to me whatsoever. And yet that's what he did. Little Sunday school chorus says, Oh, the best thing in my life I ever did do. Oh, the best thing in my life I ever did do. Oh, the best thing in my life I ever did do was take off the old robe and put on the new. Now the old robe was dirty, all tattered and torn, and the new robe was spotless, had never been worn. Oh, the best thing in my life I ever did do was take off the old robe and put on the new. (laughs) That little Sunday school chorus we learned in young people's class so many years ago is a testimony if you know Jesus Christ as Savior. The best thing you ever did was exchange those old robes of sin and take on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's what you've got in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Go back there now if you would again. It says he took off his garments and his bow and his girdle. Everything that Jonathan had, he gave to David. 
David now had access to whatever Jonathan had. Whatever Jonathan had access to, David now had access to. Anything in the kingdom that Jonathan could get his hands on, David could get his hands on as well. I'm going to read you three words from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, or four words rather, from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 22. Get a hold of these four words, folks. Paul says, all things are yours. <laughs> Paul talking to the church, he says, All things are yours. Believer, everything that God owns, you own. Why? Because of that covenant relationship that he's made with us. Because he's called us as his friend. What does God own? Well, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 9 says, calls God the Lord of hosts. That's one of God's names, the Lord of hosts. That title means he is Lord over heaven and earth. He is Lord over all things. What that means is God owns everything. It's all his. He owns it all. He owns it all. So you see, whatever is in the palace today is ours. So what do you need this morning? You need strength? It's in the palace. Do you need comfort? It's in the palace. Do you need victory over some sin, over some difficulty? It's in the palace. Are you feeling challenged by something that's coming at you in the days or the weeks ahead? Something you're not sure you can manage on your own? Everything that you need to meet whatever faces you is in the palace. And the Bible says all things are yours. Whatever the challenge is, whatever the difficulty, whatever the need is, God has given you full access to the palace. You can roam every hall. You can open every door. You can walk as long as you want to down those halls and you can take anything that's there because it's all yours. It's not his anymore. It's his and yours. Because you see, you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Side by side with Jesus Christ. All things are yours. Everything in the palace is yours. Everything. That's why Philippians 4.19 takes on such great meaning. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. All the riches and glory are yours this morning. And they are there to meet whatever need you have. All of Christ's riches, the Son of the Father, ready to provide those things to you whenever you need them. Access to all of them because of the covenant relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. So everything that God has, everything the Son of the Father has, I have access to. But I want you to notice something here. I skipped over one thing that I want you to see in verse 4. Notice it says in verse 4 that he gave David his sword. He gave David his sword. You know what that sword represents? That sword represents Jonathan's power. It was Jonathan's power in that sword that made him able to fight off all the enemies that came upon him. Read through 1 Samuel, if you would, and watch how Jonathan fights battle after battle and defeats enemy after enemy, and he's using that sword to do it. The power is in that sword. And that's the power that Jonathan gave to David. Now, I know this is a whole message in itself. I'm not going to go through it all this morning, but I want to just read you a few verses if I could. John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The fact that I have power this morning of Jesus Christ means I have no power of my own. I have no power to make myself a son of God. I can't do that in my own effort. Rather, as I enter into that covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, God gives me the power to become a son of God. It's his power that makes that happen. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. 
We're saved here this morning. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior, you're saved. And God has called you to a special work that you could never do on your own. I'm not equipped to do it. I don't have the energy or the power to do it. But I can be a witness for Jesus Christ this morning because he's given me power to do what I cannot do on my own. When I enter into that covenant relationship with him, I was given the power that I needed to do whatever he calls me to do. We're celebrating eight years as a church. God has allowed us to be in several places over the time. God has now given us this Jerusalem as our place to witness for him and and to reach out to him. God has also allowed us, if you go out this hallway, you'll see on the wall uh, pictures of missionaries that God has allowed us to support. That's the uttermost part of the earth. God's allowed us to do all that. God has allowed this church in eight years to uh, begin to uh, apply that great commission and fulfill that great commission. Why is that? Not because of us, folks. You didn't do it. You didn't do it. But as he gave you the power to do it, you surrender to that power and God worked through you to make it happen. I don't know what God has for this church in the future. You might say I'm optimistic. No, I think I'm realistic. I think God has great things planned for this church. I believe that. But you know how it's going to happen? Not through our power. If we ever begin to depend on ourselves, we are going to ruin it. (laughs) If you ever think your pastoral staff has the power to do it, you're sadly mistaken. It's going to happen when God works through us. It's going to happen as we allow his power to go through us and accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. 1 Corinthians 2.5 says this, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Uh, You are called upon to stand against this world. You're called to stand against this flesh. You're called to stand against whatever the devil throws at you. Good luck doing that in your own strength. (laughs) Have you seen what the world's doing over the past few days? The world's gone crazy. Because something right happened. (laughs) Listen to me. If you try to stand against that world on your own, you're going to get run over. That's why you don't try to do it in your own strength. God has allowed you the power of himself to make that happen. And you can stand and you can withstand as you gain access and tap into the access you have of the power of God. Why do I have that power? Because of the covenant relationship God has established with me through Jesus Christ. Let me give you one more. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now unto him, get this. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. God cannot, God just doesn't do what I think about or what I want. God goes beyond what I think about. God goes beyond what I want. When I pray and ask things for, for things from him, God says, I'll take that and I'll take it a step farther. I'll move it a little farther down the line. God can do not only what I think about. God can do not only what I ask for. God can go beyond what I think about. And God can go beyond what I ask for. When I ask God for things, He's way beyond. He's looking way down the road. (laughs) That comes to me because of the covenant relationship I have with Jesus Christ. Does He do it because of who I am? No, that's not the case at all. He does that because His unlimited power resides in me because He has decided to be my friend. All power is mine this morning. He's given me his Holy Spirit who now lives inside me and that power is within me and my soul is knit to his soul. And therefore, I've got that power this morning. One more thing I want you to notice. Jonathan gave David his sword. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible is referred to as a two-edged sword. What God did for me the day that he saved me, when he put me into that covenant relationship, he put his power inside me and he gave me his power outside of me. 
I have the power this morning of the Holy Spirit of God residing in me today. He lives inside me. That happened the moment I trusted Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I've also got God's power outside this morning through the Word of God. God has given me this book. This book that I have in my hand this morning is the power of God. That book has the power to save. That book has the power to cleanse. That book has the power to heal. That book was formed by the very breath of God, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. The same breath that brought this universe into existence is the same breath that created that book. That's the book that I hold this morning. I hold a book created by the breath of God. When I open this book up and begin to read this book, I don't know this sounds corny to you. When I open that book up and begin to read, the breath of God comes out all over me. (laughs) Because the breath of God created that book. It's his book. And that, that breath, that power is in that word this morning. That's the sword he's given me. That's why we're careful with this book. That's why we take such a dogmatic stand about this book. That's why we only teach out of that book and know the book. Because you see, folks, that book is the power of God. That book is the wisdom of God. We would do well not to change it or modify it or revise it. Let that book stand on its own because the power of God is in that book. It's in that book. And the Bible tells me that book is a two-edged sword. It cuts both ways. (laughs) I know what that's like. You see, if you abide by what the Word of God says and do what that book says and go what the book says and don't add your opinion or ideas to it, God will use that book to do His work. But if I begin to try to change it or revise it somehow or make it say something that it doesn't say, that book comes back on me. God cuts me with that book. God convicts me by that book. And so you see, because I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, God has entered into this covenant relationship with me. I am a friend of the Son of the Father. I have access to the power of God through His Spirit and through the Word that He's given to me. Look at 1 Samuel 18 one more time, and I'll close. And this is where it gets really good. Notice 1 Samuel 1.18. The Bible tells me when you look at that, what happened here in those first four verses, that covenant that was made between Jonathan and David That lasted forever. That covenant never changed. As long as those two were alive, it was never modified. It was never changed. That covenant stood just like it was supposed to stand unless one of the two parties broke the covenant. Now, the Bible tells me in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 25, Jonathan was killed. And David goes to where Jonathan is and finds his friend lying there dead. He's now lying dead before him. And in spite of that, David still expresses his love for Jonathan. David loved Jonathan even though he now lay dead before him. Folks, that's where the covenant that they had breaks down. And the covenant that I have with Jesus Christ shines and excels. Because you see, when Jonathan died, the covenant ended. Because there was no longer two people to hold to it. You can't have a a continual covenant with somebody who's no longer alive. Now, we're aware that Jesus Christ also died. His death didn't end the covenant. His death made the covenant possible. God could never enter into an agreement with you or I with with the sin that was on us. And so that sin had to be taken care of in order for that covenant to be put into effect. And so Jesus Christ became that sacrifice. And the Bible tells me in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That cross was something Jesus Christ looked forward to. Jesus Christ had joy in his death. Why? Because he knew that through his death, that covenant could be established. Jesus Christ went to that death willingly. He could have avoided it, obviously, but he chose not to because he wanted to make sure the payment was made to pay for our sins so the covenant could be established. 
He wanted us to have all those benefits, none that could be true until the sin was paid for. So you see, in the giving of his life, what he offered in his life was made available by his death. What he offered in his life, that covenant, that friendship, was made available because Jesus Christ chose to die for us. Every promise of that covenant relationship comes to us as a result of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, as a result of the sacrifice that he made. Because of Jonathan's death, he was unable to assure that the covenant would hold past that. He was unable to make sure that that covenant would always be honored. Who's going to enforce this covenant that God has made with us? Listen to me. Jesus Christ died, but he came back. He came back. He's alive today. He conquered death. And he is alive this morning for the very purpose of assuring us that that covenant that he has made with us will last through all of eternity. (laughs) He's alive this morning. And the covenant is in place because of that. Because I know Jesus Christ as my Savior, he calls me his friend. And because I'm his friend this morning, God has made promises to me. And today the Lord Jesus Christ lives on to keep the promises that he made. And because he is eternal, the promises are also eternal. And therefore, when time is no more, the promises go forever and forever and forever and forever. They never stop. Eternal promises from the eternal Savior in an eternal covenant that he's made for you and I this morning. The Bible calls it an everlasting covenant. Get a hold of that this morning, folks. An everlasting covenant never stops. Never stops. If you're saved today, you need to rejoice in the fact that you have a friend in Jesus Christ. Just rejoice in the fact that God calls you his friend this morning. All the promises, all the privileges, all the rights of the palace, everything that's there you have access to because of the covenant that God has made available to you through Jesus Christ. A child of the king. A child of the king. (laughs) If you have never repented and asked Jesus Christ to save you, you need to do that today. That covenant is waiting for you. It doesn't apply to you right now because you've not trusted Jesus Christ. You haven't entered into the covenant with him. But it's there waiting for you this morning. You see, it takes two people to make a covenant. He can offer you anything that he wants to offer you. If you choose not to accept it, the covenant stands and nothing happens with it. God has made the offer. He's made all the promises available. It takes your willingness, your desire, your choice to enter into that covenant with him. Jesus Christ offers you salvation today. He died to save you. All that you have to do is realize that you are a sinner in need of salvation and trust his payment on the cross as your payment for that salvation. And the second you do that... God entered into that covenant with you and your sin is forgiven and is set aside and you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and your eternity is settled. All the benefits of the covenant become yours. And best of all, Jesus Christ becomes your friend. You've never had a friend like him, I guarantee you. Don't wait another moment. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, if you've not yet asked Him to be your Savior, make this the day of your salvation. Now is the accepted time. Now is the time to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your friend. Heads about if you would.